All right. Thanks, Mary. Uh, hi, my name is Jack. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. Uh, my sobriety date is uh, March 22nd, 2019. Um, and I thought I would start off maybe about what what sobriety has gotten me. You know, sometimes that kind of is at the end and what AA has, but I, I tend to ramble into like sometimes drunk a log territory. Um, yeah, so I, I went to an in-person meeting tonight and someone said something that it, it, it stuck with me and I, I'm like, I felt like I need to share that. So I basically started drinking at 15 years old and it was fun. Um, and that was 1985. So when I got sober, it was 2019. So if you do the math, there was at 34 years or something like that, 35 years, whatever, of basically drinking, not maybe not always alcoholically. And then uh, about the last 19 years, I was also an opiate addict. Um, and I say opiate because I, I never um, knowingly took heroin or fentanyl. I, I think I got some counterfeit pills, but pretty much I was a pharmaceutical type. And this, this person in the meeting today said, you know, sobriety gave me my life back. And he goes, but, and, and he said this, he goes, he goes, but he goes, but I was using and drinking for so long. He goes, I was four, 14. He goes, what, what life did I get back? He goes, I'm, you know, he was like my age, you know, around 50. And I thought about that. I'm like, yeah, you know, sobriety didn't give me my life back. It gave me uh, a new life, a life that I never knew existed. Um, and it's been absolutely wonderful. Um, and so many aspects of aspects of it, I, I understand are different because of the pandemic. Um, you know, this, this zoom, uh, universe of sobriety and secular AA that has just totally exploded, um, has absolutely had an impact on, on my recovery. Um, along with in person, I had almost one year to the day when the lockdown started and I was supposed to be giving my, uh, my first lead at one year of sobriety and the meeting got shut down. So a week later I gave my first lead on zoom and it was like, and we didn't know what zoom was. And it was basically just the folks that was part of my, my local group here. Um, and then through word of mouth and people finding things that the, the zoom world took off. And I, I would say I probably got, you know, a thousand more meetings under, under me, under my belt because of zoom, uh, especially when we were, things were very much locked down and these meetings were opening up in Ireland, the West coast. I was like, in, in so excited and so much um, in, in love with the idea of hearing new people, but at the same time, relating to a lot of their stories that, you know, there, there's a wonderful person in Toronto that may, many of us know, and her story is the same as many of ours, you know, here in Cleveland, there's folks in Ireland and England that I, I heard the struggles and the things they went through, and it inspired my own recovery. I would have never gotten that. Um, you know, if it wasn't for Zoom, um, also wouldn't have gotten it if there wasn't a, a pandemic. Um, so I, I wrestle with that in my mind, you know, um, if, if not a single person 
you know, would have died from COVID. How selfish of me to say I could, you know, give all this back like it never happened. You know, in my mind, I think I would have to do that, even though it's so it's been so great for me. I, I feel I would have to do that. Um, yeah, so sobriety has given me a fellowship that I didn't realize I was missing till I had it. Uh, it did start in person and it it grew so you know tenfold in 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 uh you know all over the world from Zoom. And that fellowship is something that I I had. I last time I had it was probably from like 1991 to 96 when I was uh, in the Air Force. And I think that was military driven. You know, you're with you're with a, a group of people that and I, I was in during peacetime. You know, I was I joined in the first Gulf War came and went and before I even went to basic training. And, you know, by the time my enlistment was over with, it was it was 1996, you know, 9-11 had never happened yet. But there, there's still a fellowship about that. You know, you're you're going through, you know, whether it's basic training or you're living. I lived in Okinawa, Japan for three years. You know, so you're living there and you're homesick for your food, the food you're used to eating, your friends. Um, this was pre-internet. There was, you know, I had to actually like write my mom letters. You know, I couldn't just text her or I could spend $3 a minute calling her from Japan, you know. So it there was a fellowship to that. And then, you know, when I got out, I, um, I, in the longest time I was a binge drinker, very much a, a person who had the typical, uh, one is too many, uh, a, a thousand is not enough. If I could go Monday through Friday without drinking, but Saturday I was off. I knew what was in store for the evening. It was, it was fucked up. Um, as, as fast and as, as deep as I could, you know, um, and then Sunday was a wasted day because it's like, you just, you gave that up. You knew that's what Saturday night meant. It meant Sunday was going to be a day where you're sick. And, and I started my, uh, my wife and I got married when I was 20. So before I even went into the air force, uh, at 21 years old, um, she was pregnant and I had all three of my children were born before I was 26. So, you know, you're partying till late drinking. Um, and there were times my wife was, we, we would do that together, although she seemed to have an off switch. She knew when she, there was enough for that night, but the next day, you know, you got two kids in diapers and, and one on the way and, and you're just fucking hung over and you're miserable. So, so alcohol certainly was affecting my life, uh, in that way, um, but once I got out of the military, you know, I, I, I certainly lost the fellowship, but I didn't know I lost it. And I didn't know, I guess I needed it. Um, I had good friends and I had, um, uh, I, I ended up getting out moving, eventually moving back to the Cleveland area, which is where I was uh, raised other than a few times I moved around. I, in the, uh, my sophomore year of high school, I lived in Los Angeles, my mother and father got divorced and she moved out here with my stepfather and I came for one year. So I've, I've moved around a little bit, but, um, I, I settled in at a job. I was in charge of a department. Um, I, I learned a skill, a, a, you know, I became a, an electrician in the air force. So that's like my core, uh, job skill set as an industrial electrician. And, um, I had friends and I had coworkers, but it, 
I didn't realize it wasn't a fellowship. Now, that doesn't mean not having a fellowship caused me to become uh, a pill junkie and an alcoholic. But I remember moments during, you know, especially when, when my addiction was really bad, when I was probably in my late 30s, early 40s, and it was the worst right up at the very end, where I'm like, God, if I could pick up a hobby, maybe this would occupy my mind and occupy my time to keep me from always turning to drugs, you know, and alcohol. Um, and the alcohol was always there, but really, you know, the the drive to to stay, you know, under the influence of, of, of you know, um, oxys, Vicodin, any of those wonderful pharmaceutically driven uh, uh, opiates. That was, that was my drug of choice. You know, nothing like popping a few Percocet and washing them down with, with some cheap vodka I bought at the corner gas station. That was a, that was a wonderful day, a wonderful way to start my day. Um, and then as soon as you realize you're out of them, then the, the chase is on to score them again. Uh, and it was a terrible existence and it was exhausting. Uh, you know, so I wanted out of that. And I thought if I found some sort of hobby or I volunteered uh, someplace, it, you know, even though I was an alcoholic and an addict, I, I don't think I was a, a shitty person. I, I had a lot of empathy for people. Um, I worked on a lot of things, uh, resentments. I, even though I didn't know anything about recovery or that type of program, I worked on resentments I had for my mother moving me to California when I was in the 10th grade. And I was starting to have relations with females and I was starting to party with my friends and she uprooted me. I was fucking pissed about that. till I was, you know, in my early thirties, I was still hanging on to that, but I was able to, you know, even though I was in active addiction, I worked through a lot of that stuff. Um, and I thought if I could just find some other, something to bond with, I could, I could put this stupid addiction on the back burner, on the side burner. But no, as soon as I started feeling better, you know, if I couldn't score anything and, 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 uh, I'd go through the withdrawals and you would think, oh, I made it through the withdrawals, you know, three, five days, just don't do them anymore. Fuck no, I would get a text or a call from somebody that they got resupplied and I couldn't wait to get there and get them. And if I didn't have the money, um, I would try and get it fronted and I would worry about how I could pay for it later. Uh, a lot of it meant diverting my family's money. Um, I, I, I often say that I, my wife probably thought everybody at the company I worked at had a kid with cancer because I was always needing to take out a hundred bucks for the donation to pass, you know, when they passed the hat, you know, it seemed like once a month, I was going to need to take out a hundred dollars out of our savings account for that. And none of that was true. Or, you know, I, I was in the position of, um, uh, being able to order any of the parts or components for my department. Well, a lot of that, those items got diverted to Craigslist. You know, I, I guess I'm, what I'm getting at is, as I was running that cycle of this second life, life, I had a very suburban existence with kids. Um, my wife and I both part of the PTA and boost athletic boosters and all that bullshit. But then when I left for work in the morning, I became, you know, how am I going to get high and drunk that day? And the last five years, that was very much intense. And I had hated who I became. Uh, 
I was full of shame that I kept pushing those lines. Like I'll never cross this line. And then I would cross the line. Um, borrowing money from subordinates, guys in my department whom I made, you know, a decent amount more than them. And I'm hitting them up for $200 so that I can, cause somebody texted me that they got a script in, you know, and I, I had, I couldn't let somebody else buy that. I had to fucking go get it. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, my bottom was, uh, was, was, I was just at the end of my rope. I finally came clean to my wife. Um, I went to see a, a, a therapist, say, find out from the therapist, why do I enjoy this second life, this secret life so much? And he goes, well, you're an addict, you're an alcoholic. That's what they do. Um, and I went to this therapist under the influence. And he goes, you, you know, he called me out. He goes, you're, you're high right now and you're drunk. I'm like, yeah. He goes, he goes, you need to go to detox. He goes, if you're serious about wanting to solve this, because you need to go to detox. And he goes, and you need to tell your wife what's going on. So that night I went home, I'd seen him later in the afternoon. And I said, look, you know, I drink too much and you think it's drinking. I said, but for close to 20 years, I've also been a drug addict, um, you know, and the last six months, it, not only were the opiates involved, but it was cocaine was also involved. Um, you know, that became my new favorite drug, pills, Coke and vodka. It was, it was, uh, you know, I thought it was, you know, the trifecta. And, but the, the second I consumed them, I was over overwhelmed with shame and guilt for what I had let myself begin that I couldn't control myself anymore. And I was sleeping in the basement of my own home. My wife and I had become roommates. Um, she thought I was having extramarital affairs and I wasn't doing it with the opposite sex, but I was having an affair with drugs drug the the pills were my mistress that's who i was texting in the middle of the night it was the plug to see if i could get something it was you know by uh the guys in my department i would be texting at four in the morning saying hey i'm not coming in because i knew i was going to be dope sick that day um you know and, and and that just that life was just completely exhausting and miserable. So I went to detox. Um, and uh, from detox, they said, well, what are you going to, you know, they threw me on some Suboxone. It threw me on some other drugs to kind of take me down, you know, so I wouldn't go into alcohol withdrawal because I, this time I was a, a daily alcoholic with uh, anytime I could score pills or Coke, I was doing that on top of it. Uh, and that's usually started about 530 in the morning. So I would be at work by 6 a.m. Um, you know, so I can make my seven o'clock staff meetings. Um, and at the end of detox, you're like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, what do you mean when I do it? Like, are you, you can walk out of here yourself. You brought yourself here. Um, or we would highly recommend you go to rehab. Um, so I went to a rehab and I spent, uh, 30 days in rehab and it absolutely turned my life around one it just gave me a time out from my existence. And I'm, I'm very grateful that I was able to do that. I realize that not everybody can do it. Not everybody has the medical insurance. Not everybody has the ability to leave their family. My, my, by this time, my children were all in their 20s. 
I have a 31-year-old son, a 29-year-old daughter, and a 27-year-old daughter right now. So when I got sober, they were already college graduates and they were on their career. So, you know, dad got to go away and it really didn't, you know, so I'm grateful. And I understand that that was a special circumstance that uh, not many people have. Uh, and I have to remind myself that a lot, that it's just not easy for people to, to uproot their lives and, and just go to rehab. So I, I kind of am cautious when I say, well, why don't you go to rehab? Because you know, you just, some people just can't do it and, and they have to come to meetings to do it. Um, and when I got out of rehab, I looked up the local Cleveland central office. Cause I, I, at this time, by the time I was 18 or 19, I knew I was, I was atheist, agnostic, secular, whatever you want to call it. I was raised Lutheran, but I, I was done with it. We never got our kids baptized. My wife and I are kind of on the same page with that. Um, and the rehab I went to was very good as far as saying, hey, the higher power can be whatever you want. They offered alternate 10 steps. They offered alternate traditions. They, I, I believe probably some of the books we talk about here, the Jeffrey Munn books were available if you wanted them. So they were very conducive to me feeling and believing that I could get sober without having a G.O.D. in my life. Um, so I found West Side Agnostics, which happens to be on the west side of Cleveland, thus the name. Um, and when I walked into that first meeting on a Saturday morning, it was about 80 people in person meeting. Uh, I was fresh out of rehab. I was definitely riding a pink cloud. Uh, that that month break from my life and cutting clean cut, changed my phone number, deleted everybody in my phone that I used to get. They couldn't contact me. I couldn't contact them. Um, all the stuff they tell you to do in rehab and get to a meeting. I, I was on board with that. I am like, I'm feeling so great. I got to keep this going. And when I walked into that meeting, I saw people from uh, every race. I saw people of uh, identifying of every gender. Um, I saw people that, as far as their class in life, were homeless, maybe, to lawyers and doctors. And everybody was in that meeting, enjoying each other, getting something out of it, feeling like I genuinely felt the energy of recovery in that meeting. And, and I was hooked. Um, and that's been one of my home groups. I say now, you know, I, I went to one of the meetings tonight in person. I don't get there as often anymore, but with four years sobriety, you, I don't necessarily feel like I have to make every, uh, in-person meeting. I try to go a couple times a month, but certainly this meeting is, I consider a home group. And when you folks see me, I'm at work. Not the job that I was at, active addiction. Uh, that's this job I'm at now is a gift of sobriety. Uh, I was about three months sober, and I realized I needed to leave the place I was at, even though I'd been there 20 years, over 20 years, um, because I knew it fell under the rules of sober people, sober places. I used and drank at that company so much. It was a constant reminder. And many of the people I sourced, my narcotics from were employees or aunts or uncles of guys that worked in the production departments. I had to get away from that. I, I just couldn't be there. And I had some resentments in the direction the company was going, but 
uh, you know, once I re reevaluated that, reevaluated that, reevaluated that, I realized that my resentments were more that the company was changing in ways that was going to impact my ability to drink and do drugs on the job. <laughs> and it, and it bothered me. And, and I kind of had lost some, um, power and I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be here anyways. Cause I can't drink or use cause it'll kill me if I go back to doing that. And I'm pissed at some people in upper management just because I was pissed and I started sending out resumes and I was scared as fuck. I landed at this place. I, I am a, I'm a building engineer at a data center. So basically my job is to take care of all the electrical systems and the cooling systems. Um, pretty much my job is to make sure the servers have electricity and they stay cool. It's man, God, it has to be man 24 seven. So occasionally I'm on night shift. When I'm on night shift, I visit everybody here at an all night place. And I really, really consider this, um, you know, as, as much of a home group as um, my West Side Agnostics home group. Uh, it just that that place has a little bit more history because, it, you know, I, I went there in person. Um, yeah, so I, I you know, there was a, a bit of re recognizing in myself that I think I am predisposed, whether it's genetics or not, uh, to addiction. Uh, I've, I've shared in different uh, times in this meeting that I remember being like six, seven years old and my mother taking me to the dentist. And back then in the 70s, they used to give you laughing gas. And, you know, before they get, you know, a little kid, they give you some laughing gas, put a little thing in your nose and fucking make you high as, you know, nitrous oxide whippets, basically big tank of whippets. And I love that shit. And I remember driving home and asking my mom if we could buy some of that to have at home. And, you know, I look back at that now and I realize that I, I was, my brain likes to be altered. It is just a fact. And one way or another, I was going to do it. Alcohol was the easy route. I was encouraged to drink by my father and my grandfather. They were blue collar steel workers. Uh, you know, Cleveland's a Rust Belt city and, um, you know, you drank hard, you worked hard. Um, you know, by the time you were 15 or 16, you know, I, I remember all the stories my dad told back in high school about how he was, he was fucking getting hammered with his boys and getting laid. And that's what I expect out of my son. So when I started drinking at 15 or 16, um, uh, it was not frowned upon. It was, that's what you're supposed to do. That's, that's, so that was never an issue. So alcohol came easy. Um, I had some insecurities. It's hard to tell on Zoom, but I am a very short individual. Um, that's first time I see people in real life and they've only seen me on Zoom. They're like, oh my God, Jack, you're so short. Um, and so I had a lot of insecurities growing up. I was always the shortest guy out of my group. Um, I changed schools after my parents got divorced. I went to from seventh grade to I graduated high school, I went to a different school every year. And alcohol was the great equalizer. If you could party and you could be funny, uh, that was one of my fallbacks is humor. Um, it didn't matter what, where you at, where you were at in life. It was, it was a fun time. Um, 
And it, it just came easy. And when the opportunity came in my 30s to start acquiring opiates, I never had an injury to get them. Uh, my father, funny enough, had a few knee surgeries and he started saying, ah, you're working hard. Have a couple of these for the weekend. Well, then it became, I really like those, dad. Work, well, I know somebody you can buy them. And then that led to a 20-year cycle of sourcing them. You know, people came and went. Sometimes, you know, some old grandma I would get it for, through would die or her doctor would cut her off or something. But I always had a network of, you know, a half dozen people. And I knew when their scripts were coming due that I would buy from. Um, but I was always a willing participant. The first time those pills were put in my hand, I was like, yes, I want to try these. And then it was like, oh, you're not supposed to drink. Well, maybe drink a little bit. So I would say within a month of me getting them, uh, the you know, the label, don't drink, why are these? I was like, oh no, you definitely want to drink on these. Um, that's where I went. And I still have to watch that in my sobriety. I latch on to things that give me pleasure um, and hang on to, to them, you know, addictively. Um, a good thing that I've started doing is I started picking up books again. I'm not physically reading them, but I'm listening to them. And as soon as I finish one, I'm starting another one. Um, I'm at the point that I can't go two days without not having an audio book going when I'm making my rounds here at work, when I'm, when I'm making my checks. Um, getting my fucking steps in. I've got, where's Fitbit? And, you know, nonstop. And so I'm addicted to that. I'm, I'm addicted to the, the feeling that gives me of accomplishment. I'm addicted to... People liking the memes I post. Um, yeah, I, I I like a lot of that of, of approval side of things. Uh, anything that can give me a little bit of a dopamine fix uh, that's not drugs or alcohol, I'm, I'm pretty on board with. So, um, yeah, anyways, I appreciate all of you for being here. I appreciate this meeting uh, more than you guys know. And I really am uh, grateful for you all to be here and and with that, thank you so much, Mary, for asking me. Great. See y'all. Peace.